Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. In this episode of Our Classroom, I am joined by Alexis and Shantae of Let's Talk Sis. Oh, we converse about advocacy in predominantly white spaces. And they're in Utah, so they got a lot to say about that. It's going to be a good one, peeps. Tune in. So your work is about creating awareness and particularly not just for the sake of creating awareness, but for bringing about human connection. Love it, love it, love it. So, you know, thinking about your work, thinking about what I read on your page, uh, thinking about some of the stuff that I've witnessed and and how you engage. I I want to know <clears throat> what what are the what are the most difficult topics that you're finding yourselves addressing? Like, what are the two or three topics that keep coming up and it's like oh my goodness this again um (laughs) what are the two or three challenging topics that continue to surface in the work that you're doing well first of all i actually feel like every topic surrounding race conversation in utah continues to come up but there are a few that i feel like we address really frequently i'll let you kind of start well you know this is gonna sound really broad when I say this, but you kind of have to understand Utah is in a different place, I think, on the spectrum of learning and understanding. For a lot of people, this is a really new conversation that they're Mm -hmm. stepping into for the first time in their life. And so we introduce the construct of racism. We talk about systemic racism, racism, systematic racism. People here, a lot of people, I should say, panic a little bit because they have this perspective that racism is hate crimes. And so when we start to try and look at the different layers of racism and the different types, we have overt, we have covert, we have all of these different levels of racism. That is a really, really hard thing for people to wrap their brain around. And I think what we've really come, it comes down to is that the historical perspective that really helps us understand the construct of racism is not something that's really talked about here. It's not talked about in schools. And I mean, very little in schools, you know, they just get the tip of the iceberg. And so when we look at racism and we look at that historical perspective, it gives us a really clear understanding of what it is, how it's evolved, how it's shifted. And when people don't have that context, they're kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, you're mm-hmm. saying what, you know? And so that's something we run into a lot where we can't even use the word. Sometimes we have to break it down into pieces. So what, what does this look like and, and give it to them in, in that way. So you're chunking your instruction mm-hmm. to be yeah. able to take baby steps so that hopefully at some point you could take the biggest steps and engage even more deeply. Yes, exactly. Well, and honestly, the past couple of years with so many things that have been really politicized, a lot of people are coming into the conversation based on that. Mm -hmm. And that's really difficult when you hear these big, scary terms on the news 
and that they're defined a certain way, it's really hard to shift that definition. And so we have to be really intentional with the language and the words that we use and try hard to break it down and explain it without maybe using a word that someone might say, oh, my news station said that that was bad and that was going to indoctrinate our children and this and that. And so we have to really start at a really basic level And you have to understand, too, that a lot of Utahns, some of their connection with people outside of Utah is through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so there's international missions. And so there is a love for people in different countries, but it is it's different than maybe the people in your close circles having some of these experiences and hearing the day to day just things that happen. And so we just have to really never assume that someone knows something. We have to break it down and be willing to have that just really basic conversation. Mm -hmm. But we feel like things like racism, anything with historical context or connection, we feel like equity is really, really hard. Equity is a hard one here because it's, it's predominantly white. Um, And we see this sort of us versus them, or maybe there's a lack of, of a feeling like we have abundance. Like it's a very scarcity mentality. And so it's like, oh, we're going to be taking away from our white children to give to our black and brown children. Are they going to be safe? What are we, are we going to be harming them? When in reality, we're saying, no, 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 no. We're going to keep these white children safe. They're going to keep learning. They're going to have all that they have, but we are going to expand and give our marginalized groups opportunities too. also. You know what I mean? And so there is this scarcity mentality Well, and honestly, like there's equity. I mean, there's been equity for years. Like example, a reading group. You're not going to teach a child the same reading level as an accelerated student as someone who's struggling. And so you offer more support for someone that needs more support because of, you know, numerous reasons. Maybe they don't have that support at home or maybe there's other things going on. And that's another conversation. You need that historical context also but it, it scares people. So we try to have the conversation without some of the words that seem so scary and like maybe separate us because our goal is to try to create more connection and understanding. Can you give me a quick example of how you enter that conversation without using all these big <laughs> important words that are at the center of what we're talking about? That's and, a- and I'm saying it, because I, I think there's there are people on the platform right now that are probably extremely curious about like, oh, you know, like, all right, you know, this sounds exhausting. Just, you know, just <laughs> hearing y'all explain it, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a little tired already. <laughs> we haven't even started. So but it's important for us to understand and to shift our approach depending on our audience in order to meet our end goals. And so maybe you could give us a a brief example of how you would enter such a conversation uh, without coming in hard with all the big scary words. That's a great question. And it's something that I think Alexis and I, like you said, it's exhausting, but we both have identified our audience and we know who we're teaching and we try and be really understanding of where our audience is and they have grown with us like we have seen this process and it's it's been really interesting so for example when we're talking about something like equity 
we would have to give examples of things that they would see in their own lives. Just like Alexis said, like the reading group example, without using the term equity, we talk about, you know, making sure that all kids have opportunities to be able to reach a successful goal, you know, and and break it down so they can connect to it personally, because I guarantee they've experienced equity in their life without knowing it. And once they connect personally, they can say, oh, yeah, I do think that would be helpful for other kids. And they feel less like they're going to be losing something and feel more like they're going to be contributing to something. Mm -hmm. There are other terms that we just have to really steer away from. For example, privilege. That's a term here in Utah culture that's very, very offensive. And mm -hmm. so we, we say things like access. Do you have access to things that other people do not? And for some reason, they don't get as defensive when we're putting it in those terms. I don't know if that made sense. Well, and we always know too that we can say, what is your definition of this as we're having the conversation? Because just, I mean, language in general, like sometimes you have to define when there's something that has several meanings. And right now in the conversation surrounding race, because of politics, there are different meanings. So it's okay for us to say in a conversation, so what is your definition? Let me tell you what my definition of this is so that then we understand We're each talking other's about definitions the same thing here. Yeah. and then we can move forward in the conversation. Right. And it's interesting too, because we grew up here and we were having these conversations as young children. And then we're now who? We're who? with everyone in, around us, yeah, sorry, my phone's dinging here. I remember, you know, teachers, people asking us questions and there's sort of an assumption that you're an expert because you are a person of color, you know? And so as young children, we did get asked a lot of things and these conversations started in grade school for yeah. us. Yeah, and so now as adults, we have the language, we have better boundaries, but we also have a deep love for our community and the people here. And I feel like when we get exhausted, we know we need to step back. Mm -hmm. But then because we have hope, <laughs> that we can progress this conversation. And it's important because we're mothers and for our kids to live here and thrive, we have to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. um, there, there was certain, well, there were many things that you said right now of importance, but one of them was the need to establish common language. Uh, and I'm big on that because you know, communication is critical and particularly in this work that we're doing. And sometimes we're missing each other just because we do not have that common language. And as a result, we don't, we do not have common understanding. And so um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, as it, what does your race related advocacy look like in Utah? Again, um, person who's never been to Utah, trying to suspend my own assumptions, although you've affirmed some of the things that, uh, you know, I, I thought have been happening in, in Utah, uh, which is fine. You know, every place has its own issues, right? Uh, but you reside in Utah. And so I want to understand what, what, what does this look like? And the question is inspired, what does your advocacy look like? And the question's inspired by Utah law that I've read about uh, where parents of school-aged children uh, can opt out of Black History Month. That was interesting and curious for me. Um, so I wonder, because I'm a parent, 
Yeah. I wonder how that feels like for you as parents and uh, what conversation that inspired uh, for you all as advocates. What are you, you know, am I reading this correctly? Is this what's really happening out there? And if so, what are, you, what are your thoughts and how are y'all supporting the community in thinking through and responding to this? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So the Utah opt-out laws are not specific to just race conversation. Okay. So opt your child out of health class, out of PE, state testing. State testing. So parents wow. have a lot of choice here in Utah to opt their children out of a variety of things. So just for example, last week, we got a note coming home that my child's classes or the school's going to be discussing maturation, physical, like maturity, puberty, sex, all of those things. And so I had to sign it saying that I was okay for my child to attend. If not, then they would, you know, be taken to the library or I could pick them up for a period of time. Right. So there's an actual like parent exclusion form that you can choose. I mean, whatever it is, you can sign that form and opt your child out of. Yeah, Pretty much dot, anything, dot, dot. anything. Yeah. Wow. But what you are reading is correct. Parents are using that exclusion form to opt out of conversations surrounding race and specifically Black History Month. So that is correct. And it's interesting because the conversation and like in order for us to have these conversations, we have to understand what the fear is on the other side. So the worry and concern that we're hearing is that parents are feeling like their white children will feel shame and guilt and will feel responsible for things that happened in the past and that they and their ancestors will be blamed for slavery and a lot of the different things in history surrounding enslaved people and just all of that. So they've been told that that is how their children will feel. And so in order to protect their children, they don't want their children to be a part of the conversation. Well, okay, Roberto, you know that as teachers and educators, there's lots of different ways to teach things. So maybe there was a situation where kids felt that way, but it doesn't mean that that is all situations when we have these conversations. So the fear there is they're trying to, and they feel like these are maybe liberal agendas, these conversations. It all becomes politicized, yes. and, and that makes another issue in and of itself. And so that relates directly to our advocacy work and other advocates here in the state of Utah. Because there is this fear, it makes it really hard. So not only do you have parents afraid on that side, you also have teachers and educators Afraid of having conversations. Afraid of saying the wrong things. Am I teaching it? Sure. Am I right. parents blowing up my phone after class? And they don't have access to trainings around this stuff. So a lot of teachers that we speak to, they say, we haven't even learned this adequately. We're doing it all by ourselves. We and now this in high school. we're trying to follow the textbook, but we know parents have feelings. We're afraid someone's going to film us, call us out. Parents are getting upset. They're calling us. So there's fear on that end. And then you have, you know, there are parents that want this conversation in school. I don't know if it's the majority in some areas. A lot of it depends on your school district, where you are. I feel like more north towards the bigger city in Utah, they have way more open conversation 
Where we are closer to a smaller town, there isn't as much. And so those teachers, administrators, and people who do believe this is important and parents, we do a lot. Like Mm -hmm. it calls from parents saying, um, I, my child, like I had a call from two white parents that had an adopted black child. And they said, he's being bullied. All of these things are going on. The school's not taking us seriously. We feel like they're allowing the N word. You know, my child is in a very unsafe situation. I've talked to them. My husband's talked to them. Can you help me? Where they're asking black women to come in and think maybe they'll listen to them. Wow. And it's really hard because even as a community, like we try to show up for other people's kids, but if we had more support from our school district, from our community as a whole, these few black teachers here or few black parents wouldn't be called into all of these different meetings and things to try to support. So it, it's exhausting. Our advocacy work looks, it's not like about teaching and training. It's about showing up for the one, writing letters, going to meetings, talking to administrators, sometimes the strength in numbers. It's really interesting work. And even the louder you are about it, sometimes then that hurts the children more. So we're navigating all of these things because I don't, in headlines recently, you know, kids have been called the N-word at sporting events by other parents of opposing teams. It's real and it's alive here, but there are also really wonderful, incredible people that don't want this and are standing up for it but it's really, really tricky in getting in these doors to advocate because it's not openly acceptable or received well all the time. Right. And I think our role that we try and play, because like Alexis said, there is a fear for a lot of these white parents. They're not sure how it's going to be taught, how their children are going to interpret it. And we are really trying to present the concern and fear for our black and brown babies that what are they feeling when it's not taught? What are they feeling when... Parents get to opt their children out of their history, you know, and And their ancestors. U.S. history is a core curriculum topic here, and they touch upon Black history, touch upon it. So it's not even like an elective in our high schools to take a Black history course. So Black History Month is it here in Utah. So when able to opt out of it, like, what are we setting up? For our black and brown children. That what is, are we saying to them? Exactly. And Your so, history doesn't matter. matter. Right. My parents don't want me to learn this, so I don't have to go to school. We're setting up a situation that just elicits bullying and disconnect. And so our role, we're really trying to make this something that everyone can understand. We want to protect all of our children. We want opportunities for all of our children. And right now, our black and brown babies are not getting that. So we actively have to do something to make sure that they know that they are just as important. Well, and we try to teach on our platform when we take a concept, we're showing we're not going to use guilt or shame. We're going to teach this and we want different groups to be able to connect to this rich history. It's not an us versus them. This is our history. It is, it, it, it's important to all of us. And this is what creates a beautiful community of connection. And we have to show that in hopes that people will say like, oh yeah, that's that's what this is and that's what this can create, right? Yeah, that, just what you described sounds like you have to muster so much energy um, because it's taxing to not only be present 
for your children and yourselves, uh, but to be present for these other folks um, that need that support, right? <clears throat> and then also thinking about teachers, and, and we hear this a lot given the nature of what we do. A lot of our work is centered around training teachers, training school leaders. And I do think it's important to hear and understand where the teachers are at in terms of if you're not truly equipped to teach certain concepts or to teach certain aspects of history, I wouldn't say that you shouldn't teach it. I would say that you should you should become equipped, you know? Right. Uh, ideally, the school would equip you, right? But as we know, as you shared, and this is not just in Utah, plenty of other places where schools are not necessarily equipping their teachers to enter into these conversations, to teach kids about these concepts, to teach kids truth, right? Um, all of our history, all of our United States of America, rich history, and all that that means, right? When I say rich, I mean the, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And, and so, you know, to again, I, I'm, I'm really encouraged by the work that you're doing. And I hope that folks around you are, are listening to this and not just this, but, you know, listening to the workshops that you offer, checking out your, your, your platform and, and being challenged and encouraged. I, I like to use that terminology a lot, challenged and encouraged, uh, because we all need that, right? We, we all need to be encouraged, but we all need to be challenged, too, to disrupt our comfort so that we lean into the things um, that perhaps feel taboo to us or perhaps we don't know much about. But if we want to live in a more just society, if we want to live and we want our children to live in a society that's more harmonious, then we got to wrestle with this stuff. Yeah. Like it or not. And so uh, thank you for doing the work that you're doing where you're doing it. Because I don't think everybody is not called to that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> everybody's not called to that. I don't think I'm moving out to Utah to do that. I mean, you know, I'm just being real. Uh, I will stay here. And f- now, Florida has its own set of crazy. Uh, Florida has its, its own set of, of crazy and uh, closed-mindedness and so on and so forth. And I'm sure you hear plenty about it in the news. Uh, but they're also there's also a lot of diversity here in Florida, racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, that does lend itself to these conversations. So I know the work that you're doing is particularly challenging. And that makes me think about uh, you as parents and thinking about your household. How do you affirm the identities of your children and how are you supporting them in their own advocacy? You talked earlier about the fact that y'all basically been doing this your whole lives because you grew up there and, you know, are black folks, so you become the default DEI experts, even as children. Yeah, you know, not right, not fair, but it is real. Yeah, it is. That happens, right? And so you have this context, you have this understanding, and you probably don't want to put that weight on your children, but you know it's already there. So how do you go about affirming their identities and supporting them in their advocacy? Well, one way is we talk a lot about family history 
And we feel like that's also really important language here in Utah. It's something that most people really honor. Like if you understand Utah's history with the Mormon pioneers, very connected to their ancestors. And so when we teach our children about our family history, our ancestors, all of the incredible things they did, the challenges, the resilience, we feel like we're giving them the language that is going to help them have this conversation and connect it with a lot of just the Utah culture here in itself. And also recognizing, I mean, because our kids are, you know, Shante's kids are a quarter black, my kids are three quarters, you know, so we can talk a lot about like our Scandinavian ancestry and black and where, you know, daddy's ancestors ended up in Alabama and mommies ended up in Jamaica. And what did that look like? And what is the history? And we feel like that gives them a strong sense of identity and also helps them be able to share these stories just openly in classrooms when things come up, but also not feel the responsibility that they don't have to. And a big part of this is also teaching our children boundaries that they don't have to be the educators. And that's part of why we continue to do what we do, because I mean, the people in the school know what our kids' moms do. (laughs) Right, right. And I think when it really comes down to it with young kids and learning to be advocates, it's, it's more than just telling them how. A lot of times with little kids, it's acting it out. It's giving examples of what could this look like. And just like Alexis said, these boundaries are so important for them to be able to advocate for themselves and say, you know, that's actually not right. my responsibility to teach this or whatever to share with the class that they know that they don't have to do that. And that's not their job to do that. And I think really, if they do have a strong self sense of self and identity, they know where they came from, they know who they are. And it just makes the whole, it all easier because they are going to face hard things here, here in Utah specifically, they're going to face people saying things about maybe where they came from or the color of their skin. And so it is so important that they find peace and confidence in who they are. Well, and even my daughter, when she was little, girls loved to touch her hair and her braids. Oh, here we go with the hair touching. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was hard. It, like, stressed her out, and she didn't know what to say. And so I, I said, I try to take it back on me as the parent, and I said, you just tell your friends, thank you for saying my hair is beautiful. My mom works really hard at this, and my mom's rule is you can't touch my hair. And I'm like, put it back on mom. Until you feel confident enough that say, you can create that boundary for yourself touch my hair. Right. and say, please don't touch my hair. And even I had an, um, a situation with my daughter's teacher recently where they were reading a book and the N word was in the book. And there was no conversation in the classroom about how that term is. You can't use it nowadays. <laughs> and what that term means and the violence right the the historical context around it and it bothered my daughter that it was what context yeah that it was being read openly in class so she talked to me about it so i spoke to the teacher and the teacher said okay that's great i'll give your daughter an opportunity to explain no 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 no. why we don't use that word and i said "Uh uh-uh that is not my daughter's job and i said you as the teacher can do the research and explain why that's not appropriate and have a class discussion. But I do not want any attention drawn to my daughter. If she chooses to participate in the conversation, that's her choice. And I mean, you could feel there was a little tension. 
So I prepared my daughter and I said, this might come up. I don't know how it's going to go because I don't know how this teacher felt, but he actually handled it amazing. And my daughter said, thank you, mom, (laughs) for letting him know that's not my job, but he did do his research. And she said, we talked about N-word passes, things on TikTok, and like why we don't use that, what that represents. And she said the class participated. The class said, we know that's wrong. And she said it was such a good conversation. But I have to be really involved in my kids' school, in their classroom, to try to absorb some of that because it does come to them. And I don't want them feeling like that that affects their identity So we have to be 10 steps ahead and then prepare them the best that we can also. Right. It's interesting because I think about some of my kids' schooling experience, particularly um, when we were in Texas. And, you know, depending on the school environment you're in, you might be the only voice, right? you might be the only set of parents that will lean into, even though there might be other parents around that have a similar background or whatnot, but you might be the only ones willing to voice mm-hmm. yeah, the identified issues um, to challenge and encourage, in this case, a teacher to consider and to respond accordingly. And, you know, I, I really... I, I don't think everybody is equipped to to respond in that way. I wish everybody was, but I, I've observed enough individuals who might lean into such a conversation and then they'll say things that might confuse the teacher or mm-hmm. they'll say yeah. things that might feel like they are giving the teacher a pass uh, or, you know, because you don't want to engage in this courageous conversation, you're you're boosting the teacher up and never actually calling the teacher out or calling them in, as mm-hmm. in my videos earlier, you know, called out versus called in when Rich Reddick and I talked about that. And so thank you for sharing this example. And I hope that our audience is really embracing this because we need more individuals to advocate for all of our children. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Because, yes, it's particularly important for, for your child in this particular example to feel like she doesn't have to be the voice of all Black people. But it's also important that all of these children understand the context of why, in this case, the N-word is problematic, um, understand why there's teaching happening around mm-hmm. this and understand, you know, what are some things that we should be considering, we should be processing uh, now that we're having this conversation to equip you to engage with the world, right? And I say the world because, like, we know even though y'all are in Utah, but the kids have access to everybody everywhere now mm-hmm. um, through through the social media platforms. And kids, are, they'll learn all types of things, and then they'll say all types of things based on what they're picking up here. Could be positive, could be negative. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of negative. um, And and that stuff sells. But all the more reason for folks like us to continue doing the work that we are doing. And so I I love all that you shared. 
and I love what you're doing with your kids uh, on the family history tip uh, and the tools for, for them to be advocates. Hey, people who are listening, uh, please teach your children about their family history and also encourage them, help them, give them the tools, model the example as Alexis and Shantae just did for us on how it is they can respond to these different situations so they're not stuck feeling like they have to be the voice of the people. It's, it's not fair for our children. That's a heavy, heavy burden to put on them. They should be able to just go to school and enjoy the learning experience. Yes, yes. So what's the message of encouragement that you want to offer those who are, are with us, those who are listening, those who are present with us? What's the message of encouragement you want to offer the audience? Well, for those of you who are stepping forward in this area, we want to encourage you to continue to do it. And we know that it's exhausting. And we know that sometimes you don't have people in your circles that can really buoy you up and help lift you. And so we have to do it for each other, even if it's online. <laughs> um, and then for those of you that want to step into the space and are scared or maybe, you know, white parents that say, I care about this. I want to be involved. I want to invest in this. We want to encourage you to learn. It takes practice. We're still learning every day. You have to dive into it. And you have to challenge even some of your own thoughts. And no one can do that learning for you. You have to do it for yourself. Even those of us online that share ideas and thoughts and concepts, it will never be enough if you are not willing to learn history, learn these different perspectives, because that is so vitally important. And I feel like when we have those parents, like I have this mom who said, I didn't know what to do. So I showed up to my kid's class and I started reading diverse books in the classroom. And then I donated the multicolor skin color crayons to the classroom and I printed out coloring sheets and she said the teacher was so thankful and she said I don't know if I'm doing things right or wrong but I just needed to do something and I love that and I encourage everyone to do that no matter where you live and to be that person that can help support other parents other children and just really create that connection and community yeah exactly I'll just echo that really because I think it's about stepping outside of ourselves and saying there are other stories to learn and to connect to. And that's that's really what this work is. And as exhausting as it can be, I think Alexis and I have seen so much good come from it and so many people who just maybe didn't know where to start. And so if anything, start just start. Start by learning about a different culture, a different group of people, something different than yourself, because that understanding creates connection. And that connection is what is vitally important for us to thrive here. Well, and to recognize too, specifically with our enslaved ancestors and people of this country, is that their stories have not been shared. And if you can't understand why, that's the first place to go. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second place is to honor those stories. Like think of your life, think of our life. Like what if no one shared our story and they got everything really wrong about us? Like that would be sad to anyone. And so we really believe there's power in these untold stories and there's so much beauty and depth. And even beyond the people that you hear commonly shared, there are 
hundreds and thousands of more stories. And some of them we may never find, but there's so much that we can honor and learn from. And we just want people to get curious and want to learn. There's books, there's podcasts, there's movies, there's documentary. Like there's no excuse now. It's actually a really simple process. Like it's a TED talk. You can start anywhere. You know what I mean? You know what I love about y'all's platform is that, you know, your family, sisters doing this together. And um, I'm really, I'm moved by that because I recently, y'all know we had to reschedule. You know, we, we were supposed to do this, you know, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. Couldn't do it because I recently lost my father. And I have two sisters. And so in this time, my sisters and I have been working together probably more so than we ever have and we're doing some stuff not necessarily related to what i do in multicultural classroom but you know we're working together on certain things and and so watching y'all is just really moving my heart in terms of the importance of trying to maintain i know your stuff is focused on connection and whatnot but in this case like Y'all seem really connected as family, really connected as sisters. And and that, to me, is a powerful thing. You know, even with Multicultural Classroom, what we do is, you know, Lorena and I, um, that's my wife and that's my partner. Uh, but I'm thinking particularly right now about my sisters and, and how it is that, like, you know, I could take what your example, you know, uh, your example of staying connected, like when I'm scrolling through your content and your pages, whatnot, and I seem like, yo, they seem like they are always together. Um, and I know that, you know, my sisters and I will always be together, but, you know, we can always be united, you know, if, if we work towards that, if we're intentional about maintaining that connection with one another. And, and ultimately, that's one of my big takeaways from what y'all are doing is that you are inspiring other people to be as connected as you are as sisters. And so know that I see that. I love that. I feel that deeply. And, um, you know, if anything, I'm leaving with that encouragement. I'm leaving with a lot more, but that's particularly sitting on my heart. Well, thank you. And you're getting me all emotional back here, but we're really sorry to hear about your father and, like just what you shared. I didn't know that this was your wife on the platform. She's incredible. But it's like to us, this is family work. Like we're doing it for our families and for our bigger family, you know, here in our communities and in our world. And we want to be a global family. And so that emphasis right there, it's really what this work is rooted in for us. As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.